Before beginning this episode, we would like to correct a mistake we made in the previous episode about the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The mineral that was discussed in that episode was incorrectly identified as cobalt. It is actually coltan, a different mineral. Both minerals are in the DRC, but coltan is what I was actually talking about. We are working on editing it now, and we apologize to those who listened to the episode already. We try to be very vigilant about our research, but mistakes like this do happen. We appreciate your patience, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Welcome back to the Refugee Report. This episode is about Iraq. This country has been at the center of numerous global conflicts throughout the decades. Today, the country is left with a humanitarian crisis and a long road to rebuilding. In order to properly explain this crisis, we are going to do this in two parts. This week, we are going to focus on the history of Iraq and the effects of ISIS in the region. Next week, we will focus on Iraqi Kurdistan and the Yazidis. Before starting, we would like to warn you that the information and audio presented may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Iraq is located within the Middle East. It has a small coastline along the Persian Gulf, and it borders Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iran, and Turkey. It is a primarily Muslim country, with the majority being Shiite Muslims and the minority being Sunni Muslims. Its resources include large oil deposits, and its geography is filled with deserts, highlands, plains, and long river systems. Two of these river systems are the Tigris and Euphrates River. Between these two rivers was one of the oldest civilizations, Mesopotamia. Human beings have existed in this area for thousands of years. Over these years, Iraq has been occupied by the Persian Empire, Ottoman Empire, and the British Empire. Iraq did not gain formal independence until 1932. However, there was still heavy British influence since the British still had economic interest in the region. It wasn't until after World War II in 1945 that British influence subsided and Iraq became a member of the United Nations. There had been a monarchy ruling Iraq following World War II. This changed in 1958 when the Iraqi Revolution took place. This led to Abd al-Karim Qasim becoming Prime Minister. During his tenure, Qasim began making some monumental decisions. Iraq began its withdrawal from the pro-British Baghdad Pact. This pact had given the British access to oil reserves. The withdrawal from this pact meant Iraq owned more of its oil reserves, giving it greater autonomy and economic control. Also, in 1961, Kuwait gained independence from Britain. However, Qasim claimed Iraq had sovereignty over Kuwait because of previous provincial borders. Britain, fearing military action from Iraq, sent troops to protect Kuwait. It wasn't until after October of 1963 that Kuwait's sovereignty was recognized by Iraq. However, this event would establish tensions between Iraq and Kuwait. Qasim's rule then came to an end in 1963 when he was assassinated. Following his assassination, Iraq went through a period of instability in which there were multiple coups to take power. Saddam Hussein was becoming an influential figure in the country, and he took leadership of Iraq in 1979. He established a dictatorship in which the ruling party was the Ba'ath Party. By 1979, the Ba'ath Party had a huge amount of influence over the country of Iraq. The party was present in even the smallest of villages, and there were numerous youth organizations. 
The Ba'ath Party was also ruled by the Sunni minority, leading to the oppression of the Shiite majority in the country. Saddam also tightened regulations on political ideology. He jailed and violently squashed all political opposition and made the political beliefs of the Ba'ath Party the only acceptable political ideology. This was especially the case for the Kurds living in the country who were vehemently oppressed. However, we will get to that in the next part of our series. Early in Saddam's rule, a devastating conflict began to take place, the Iran-Iraq War. For all practical purposes, though they haven't declared it, Iran and Iraq tonight are at war. Before today and yesterday, they had confined their military hostilities to narrow strips along their mutual border. In less than 48 hours, that's all changed. There have been air raids on both capitals and Iraqi troops have entered Iran. The industrial world, which needs its oil, is watching every move. The Iran-Iraq War lasted from 1980 to 1988. The fall of the Iranian Shah worsened relations between the two countries, and Iran denounced the Ba'ath Party. Iran also wanted to export revolution to Iraq in order to turn it into an Islamic state. Furthermore, Iran still occupied portions of Iraq that should have been returned to Iraq in 1975. Saddam feared the Islamic Revolution since it could serve as inspiration for a revolution among the Shiites in Iraq. Iran then bombed Iraqi air bases and the UN failed in reaching a ceasefire, creating a prolonged war in the region. Casualty estimates from the Iran-Iraq war are very uncertain. However, estimates range from 1 to 2 million people. This was a devastating war that lasted 8 years and led to no victory. The war also broke international law due to the use of chemical weapons. Saddam Hussein used mustard gas and nerve agents to deter Iranian advances. Later on, his use of these weapons during the war would contribute to the stigma that Iraq harbored an array of dangerous and illegal weapons. Shortly after this, in 1990, Iraq accused Kuwait of violating the Iraqi border in order to secure oil resources. Negotiations began but failed, leading to Iraq invading Kuwait on August 2, 1990. This was a blatant violation of international law. The Kuwait royal family fled, and Iraq seized control over the country. The UN Security Council then gave permission for military action, leading to Operation Desert Storm. This was a coalition of 31 countries led by the United States for the liberation of Kuwait. It is going to be difficult, but what we know is this. About uh, 50 minutes ago, uh, American aircraft and perhaps American missiles, perhaps including the Tomahawk cruise missiles fired from the Persian Gulf, suddenly descended on Iraq and occupied Kuwait out of a very dark but very clear night sky. The war in the Persian Gulf has begun. What was known for so long as Operation Desert Shield is now called by President Bush Desert Cloud, who, uh, Desert Storm, I beg your pardon, who made a, he made a statement from the White House a short while ago simply saying the liberation of Kuwait has begun. We expect to hear from the President in person uh, to address the nation in about an hour and ten minutes from now. It only took 10 days to establish absolute supremacy over the Iraqi military, and on February 27, 1991, Iraq agreed to withdraw all troops from Kuwait. However, American involvement in Iraq was far from over. On September 11, 2001, 
the United States was attacked. The 9-11 attacks sent a wave of fear and uncertainty throughout all of the U.S. Although all intelligence clearly showed that the attacks were committed by al-Qaeda, there were those in the Bush administration who began to push a different narrative. This narrative was that there were certain countries that made up the access of evil and posed a threat to global security. North Korea is a regime arming with missiles and weapons of mass destruction while starving its citizens. Iran aggressively pursues these weapons and exports terror, while an unelected few repress the Iranian people's hope for freedom. Iraq continues to flaunt its hostility toward America and to support terror. The Iraqi regime has plotted to develop anthrax and nerve gas and nuclear weapons for over a decade. This is a regime that has already used poison gas to murder thousands of its own citizens, leaving the bodies of mothers huddled over their dead children. This is a regime that agreed to international inspections, then kicked out the inspectors. This is a regime that has something to hide from the civilized world. States like these and their terrorist allies constitute an axis of evil arming to threaten the peace of the world by seeking weapons of mass destruction. A big issue with the war on terror is that it did not provide a clear target. Americans were understandably angry, and they wanted a defined enemy. Saddam's Iraq served this purpose. It was a brutal regime that had conflict with the United States in the past. Also, their previous use of chemical weapons made it easier to stoke the belief that they could have deadlier weapons, like nuclear bombs. There was zero evidence for this, and multiple international inspections failed to find these weapons. However, the United States pushed forward and went to war in Iraq in the name of spreading democracy. The invasion in 2003 was launched without UN approval and without popular international support. The invasion of Iraq was relatively swift, but no weapons of mass destruction were found. This made the invasion of Iraq one of the biggest intelligence failures in U.S. history. However, it is also worth mentioning that the Iraqi oil deposits were seized by the U.S. upon this invasion, leading to questions as to what the true intentions of the war were. Despite easily defeating Saddam's regime, the U.S. now faced new problems. The invasion of Iraq led to an uprising among the Sunni minority who had been removed from power and were now being targeted by the Shiites. These Sunnis were also former military personnel. These military personnel joined terrorist groups in Iraq who were opposing the U.S. presence there. One of these groups was Al-Qaeda in Iraq. This group then became the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, also known as ISIS. In 2011, the United States began their withdrawal from Iraq, believing the conflict to be over. However, this left a massive power vacuum, which ISIS began to fill. So, in 2014, ISIS began taking swaths of territory in Iraq, and they claimed Mosul as their Iraqi capital. ISIS subjected the Iraqi people to countless atrocities. If you haven't already, please listen to our Part 1 episode on Syria. In this episode, we outline these atrocities 
and why so many were displaced. We don't want to be repetitive, so please listen to that episode for proper context. About four years ago, ISIS territory was completely diminished in Iraq. However, the group has evolved into a new form in which they have cells scattered across the country. So, the group still continues to terrorize the Iraqi people with suicide bombings and attacks. Since 2014, around 3 million people have been internally displaced, and another 260,000 have sought asylum in neighboring countries. As mentioned, ISIS is perceived to be defeated in the country since they no longer control territory in Iraq. Therefore, the Iraqi government is pushing many displaced people out of refugee camps. However, many do not feel safe returning. Furthermore, most of these people do not have a place to return to. If you look at images of Mosul right now, it is still flattened in rubble. Yet, it was liberated nearly four years ago. Despite this, the Iraqi government is still trying to force refugees out of camps by slowly cutting off aid and by threatening to destroy camps. Listen to Ahmed, an Iraqi refugee, describing the predicament he now faces. My house was destroyed by an airstrike and we're poor. I lived in a camp for three years. They asked me to leave the last one and I heard about this camp. I've been here for four months. It's also worth mentioning that Ahmed has a son who has cancer, meaning access to medical care is extremely important. However, thousands of other refugees cannot find other camps and are left homeless. The removal of these refugees is also incredibly presumptuous because Iraq is increasingly unstable. Over the last year, Iraq has been consumed with protests due to government corruption. Oil prices are also dropping to an all-time low in the country, leaving some 4.5 million Iraqis vulnerable to falling under the poverty line. Hyperpoverty can serve as a catalyst for terrorism in the country. Furthermore, tensions between the Iraqi government and Iraqi Kurdistan have been escalating in recent months. But we will pick up there in the next episode. Before ending this episode, we would like to recommend a charity that is helping refugees in Iraq. This week, it is the International Rescue Committee. This organization is helping to provide aid to camps that are now being cut off from government aid. Their link will be in the description. They are not the only organization doing this, and I encourage you to research the plethora of organizations helping refugees in Iraq. Although we do recommend this organization, it is important that you do your own research before spending money. That concludes this episode of The Refugee Report. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share it. We want to educate as many people as possible about refugee issues. You sharing the podcast helps us accomplish that goal. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media at Wartime Aid. We are posting some great informative content on our Instagram, and I highly recommend looking at it. Tune in next week for the next part of this series about the Kurds and Yazidis in Iraq. As always, thank you for listening.